even in most religious and spiritual traditions, even desires themselves are thought to be something to be mm. risen above, gotten mm -hmm. beyond, right? And so to think about desire and then the sort of the the most secret of desire, sexual desire, right? The most culturally loaded desires mm -hmm. as being a portal to the divine is pretty countercultural, certainly in most of the settings we grow up in. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Suzanne Ajarian. She's a sacred sexuality teacher and sex, love, and relationship coach, helping people to awaken their sexuality, spirituality, and aliveness. She's spent over 28 years formally pursuing spiritual studies. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi, nice to be here. Very good to have you here, and I'm excited to be able to cover this topic from this personal lens and learn a little bit about your life and also what brought you to this work and you know what people who have not explored this work can learn from what you've discovered. So, you know, often when someone goes into a specific field, I feel that there is sort of a reason why they were drawn to it. And in my experience, or at least in my writerly curiosity, to me, there always seems to be like a backstory about, you know, what what did you, how did you exist before you found this? You know, what drew you to this kind of work? And so I'd love to have you just start by talking a little bit about um, what it is that you do, and then we can go back and talk about, you know, what life was like before you did this. Sure, absolutely. So I work with people, mostly one-on-one, -on -one, although I do have some women's groups. And Really, my work is helping women to claim or reclaim an authentic connection to their sexuality and to their sexual energy. So that means uh, it means talking about right what you want, what you want your life to be like, what you want your sexuality to feel like, and then I usually prescribe for them specific, mostly uh, traditional practices, some new, some but mostly very old type of practices to sort of reconnect and start to connect a sense of sacredness back to sexuality that a lot of women, a lot of people just crave mm -hmm. and intuitively know is there and don't quite know how to get there. And it might present with, you know, low desire. It might present with other sort of top issues. But when we get down to it, right, we all live in this culture and almost all of us have some effect to our sexuality from the culture we live in or from the families we live in, like you're mm. mentioning, or the religions we were raised in and how to get down to like a true essence and, and a sense that's connected to something often bigger than who we are. Mm. And, you know, sacred can mean a, a bunch of different things and it can be broad as well. So when you say sacred and when you talk about it in this work, can you help me understand what you, what you think about when you think about sacred sexuality? Yeah. So, and, and I think one of the things I love about this work is that it, it is open to each person's experience, individual experience mm -hmm. of the sacred, of the divine, of finding that spark in themselves. So for many people, it's a, a connection to creativity or uh, intuition. Mm -hmm. Some people, it's absolutely want to have those sacred sexual experiences with a partner where they see beyond themselves they lose that sense of an individual and in, in, you know being an individual personality for a moment and blend mm. into something higher in those sacred moments with another 
mm-hmm. and that's what they're really seeking. Uh, and for some, it's a, it's coming home. And I think for me, it was ultimately coming home to a sense of my self and a sense of the divine within me as something I could then offer to the world in in my wor- work in the world happens to be in this area, but helping other people to do the same, to bring their work to the world that feels bigger than them. Mm. And, and were you... You know, I feel like let me. I want to. I want to ask this question, but I almost like know it's like a loaded question. So, um, was this a coming back to who you always were when you discovered it yourself, or was it a, a completely brand new discovery because you never knew this about sexuality for yourself? You know, I always had an inkling, and I always wanted there to be something more, but I was raised in a, a setting where I didn't. It took me a long time to even think about what I wanted for myself sexually, right? And I think so many women are raised to think about uh, what the other person wants, how to be who the culture wants us to be, and and I always knew there was something more, but it took a lot of steps to really claim. So I, I walked a spiritual track most of my life, and even as a young child had a bigger sense of a spiritual uh, being a seeker. I was the mm-hmm. kid who, instead of being the kid who snuck out the window to go make trouble, I was the kid who actually, the the nuns told me, you go to church every Sunday. And when my parents didn't get around to it, I snuck out the window and walked to church. So <laughs> <laughs> nerd that way from the very beginning, I knew mm. that there was, I wanted that spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. It, and so I, I sought that my whole life and had this inkling that it was there in sexuality, but, and look. That's so interesting because, you know, it's it's not something I hear usually, like, or in my little closed off world, I suppose, it's not something I entertain as sacred and spiritual and sexual. Right, they're seen as opposites, and even in most religious and spiritual traditions, even desires themselves are thought to be something to be mm. risen above, gotten mm-hmm. beyond, right? And so to think about desire and then the sort of the the most secret of desires, sexual desire, right? The most culturally loaded desires mm-hmm. as being a portal to the divine is pretty countercultural, certainly in most of the settings we grow up in, right? Mm-hmm. Most people aren't saying, how about this way to God? <laughs> yeah. So when did, okay, so, so let me go a little bit further back then. What was the environment in your home growing up for expression or desire or just sexuality and feeling like you're in a body? So it was pretty much erased in my home growing up. You know, I was, like I've alluded to, I was raised Catholic, but I didn't absorb a lot of, I don't even remember absorbing a lot of negative messages about sexuality from the church. Surely they were there. Uh, My Mm -hmm. mom just didn't talk about it. It was just completely not discussed, not expressed. I didn't see uh, even a lot of expression in the couples around me, it was just not there. So when it came time for me to discover my own sexuality, it was pretty much a blank slate. Mm-hmm. The conditioning that was there, though, was very deep, which is to, and this was very much the cultural background I was, I grew up in, which was to accommodate men, to be a good girl, to be what someone else wanted me to be, and to not make trouble. Mm-hmm. And so I brought that to my my relationships, my first sexual relationship, to that exploration of my sexuality, and didn't really come into it with 
what I would love everyone to come to sexuality, which is how can I give and receive and share the most pleasure? Right. That was not on my radar. Right. Well, are you talking about the couples around you, like in terms of aunts, uncles, your own parents, in terms of not seeing that closeness, that physical warmth or that kind of uh, connection? Yeah, I don't recall seeing that kind of connection in the adults around me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it just wasn't expressed in front of me. I remember, you know, finding uh, a relative's stash of porn magazines. Mm -hmm. I remember, right? And and finding out like, oh, that's what adult women look like. That's what I should be like, right? I had that kind of patterning. And then I had the general messaging to be a good girl and be what someone Mm -hmm. else wanted me to be. And all that myriad of messages, you know, be attractive but not too attractive, be desirable but not too desirable, you know. Yeah. All of those sort of, that tightrope that we walk as women, I certainly was exposed to all of it. Although I never remember being explicitly told it. I, I do remember being told, you know, men have needs, be mm. careful, uh, certainly don't get pregnant, those sorts of things. But that even that came from school education. It just really was erased. Were you the only daughter in the house? Were you the only girl growing up in your home? No, I have a younger sister, two years mm-hmm. younger, and uh, it's interesting. I think she, you know, I, I was that very over-responsible older child. I think she, I, I'd be curious what kind of messages she felt she received. Mm-hmm. Um, she was much more of the rebel, so I think oh. she went out and explored things just more exuberantly than I did. I had a sort of a naturally uh, more timid personality than she did, and so I was much more focused on uh, the security of having a boyfriend that wouldn't leave and being mm-hmm. a good girl. And do you do you remember your first sexual experience, your first like intercourse experience being one that you wanted and that you chose? Yes, I was extremely, extremely lucky that I had I, I had a first boyfriend who was extremely loving. It was a c- completely consensual and decided over a period of time. Uh, to have intercourse and was just an overall positive experience. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's not common. Most of the people I work with, that's not the case. I have to say it's it's not the majority of women. I felt so lucky that I had this experience. I actually went back to that person once I started studying this and just said, hey, thanks. You know, Mm. I mean, in this culture, it shouldn't need thanking. But it was, I was very, very lucky to be able to have a completely very innocent and beautiful exploration, you know. And still, my conditioning was, how can I make him happy? How can I make Mm -hmm. him stay? How can I make him feel good? Mm -hmm. I had to go back and say, do you remember if this was pleasurable for me? Do you remember what it was like for me? Because all I remember was trying to make it good for you. Yes, and I think about that because that sort of was my orientation as well growing up. Um, There's just, I don't know, and we can talk about this again, like toward the end of the conversation, but I'm so curious how women growing up now and coming of age now, young women are experiencing this, if there's a little more um, agency, like if, if there's, you know, because the images and the onslaught in media is so different than when you and I were growing up. And I wonder if there's a little more ability for women to take ownership of their experience in general. I know everyone's different or if it's still very much the same. You know, it's a very interesting question to me. Um, have you, do you have any sense of that? It, I, it, I do from working with women who are younger than me. And it's, I think, a much more complex world because mm-hmm. I think all the messages we got are still there. And then layered on top of it is this sexual performative quality of that. Now you have to also claim your desire, be a boss in the bedroom, 
you know, mm -hmm. uh, all the, there's a lot of like pop musical messages about really claiming the body. And at the same time, there's an overcompensation. Mm -hmm. And really what I love to help people cultivate is what's really authentic. What is my authentic yes? And what is my mm -hmm. authentic no? Not because it can just be a, another layer of looking good to sort of be sexually liberated. Well, right, but it's it's it does seem so complicated because how could you even get to what the root is of your desire and who you are and what you want when you have all these other images and, and messages happening? Like, where is the core you sexually? That's right. And what's amazing is sexuality is such a pure uprising energy in us that it's actually not that hard to find. We just have to create sort of the right environment so if I think about it like the right conditions and a lot of times that is being around other women being given mm -hmm. permission being given full permission for a yes a no for an I don't even know what I want mm -hmm. for all, to clear all the messages about our bodies what we think of ourselves what we think about how we look and start to receive from other women the support the permission and also one of the things I love to do is create uh, an environment of praise and celebration of each other as women. So in the women's groups, and I work with men and women, yeah. uh, although I don't work with men in groups, mm -hmm. when women get together, it's like the the authenticity of sexuality can very naturally arise. And so supporting each other is one of the places, it's amazingly one of the conditions. And you think about it, it's one of the scariest places. I know you know, jumping forward a little bit that when my marriage was in trouble and there was n no sex and hadn't been for a long time, I was afraid to tell my girlfriends. You know, we, mm -hmm. there might be those sort of conversations where we were talking about sex or talking about our relationships or our partners. I just shrunk away from them. I was so ashamed. And I remember a therapist laughing when I said I was sure I was the only person in a sexless marriage. I mean, he could not even keep a straight <laughs> face, you know? I was so ashamed of my lack of desire, of my lack of connection, my lack of access to this part of myself and this failure. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about your marriage. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, you, you came of age, you had your first sexual experience, and then what, how old were you when you got married? I was 30. Okay, so you had like a, a decent amount of young adulthood on your own. Mm-hmm. And did you date around and stuff? I, I had, you know, several long-ish relationships. I was never uh, one to, it just wasn't my style, although I know it is many people's to have a lot of short relationships. I tend to have longer, mm -hmm. couple-year relationships. I married a man who was, so in my early 20s, I came onto this, the to serious spiritual work and dated and married a man in my spiritual community. And... I really felt like that was the perfect recipe. And in, in many ways, it was the perfect recipe mm. for our life together. Um, but many, right, many spiritual traditions overlook sexuality. Mm. Uh, so I married uh, a man when I was 30. He was 15 years older. Uh, and then we continued to really to keep our marriage founded in our spiritual path. Uh, but then, and six years later, had our first kid, and then four years later, our second. Mm -hmm. And so before you were with him, were those relationships, those long-term relationships, uh, pretty satisfying for you, you know, sexually to the extent that you knew that you needed it and how you wanted it at that point, or were they lacking? You know, they sort of started out like that beginning honeymoon period, great often, sometimes just good, sometimes okay, uh, but 
fairly quickly, right, I found that the sexual spark died in the relationships. And I found that to be a pattern. I didn't know whether that was just how all relationships happened, if it was something I was doing wrong, right? I was, mm. I was always really curious about it. Um, but I found that it tended to fade. I didn't tend to have relationships where it, uh, it sustained, like a sexual mm-hmm. spark sustained over years. So then when did you start to realize, huh, you know, something in my marriage is different. It doesn't feel quite right. In the first couple of years of marriage, and we were married 20 years, in the first couple of years of marriage, wow. I started to talk to him about it. I noticed mm-hmm. that same sort of thing. I said, let's do something about this. And I started, even then, uh, seeking somebody who could talk to me about this in a holistic way. What's going on here? We did the usual sort of talk therapy. We went to various teachers. Even then, I, we took a week fairly early in our marriage and went uh, and studied with a Tantra teacher a wonderful Tantra teacher named Niaso in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew right away that I wanted this to sustain and I could see the signs of it not. Hmm. Um, did your did your husband find it to be fine that, that what you the way you were living was okay by him from what you could understand, or was it an issue for him too? It's hard to say looking back. I think again the lack of ability to have really open conversations about this is so often shut down in couples. And I think that was the Mm. case with us, that I tried to talk about it, but we didn't have the tools to really get to a safe enough conversation where I could ever really find out what was going on. So as it shut down, he was not the one expressing, uh, as much as I was, the the distress about it. I was like, Mm. this isn't right. Something's wrong here. We need to do something about this. So I kept seeking out expert after expert. I think ultimately it's so hard to have these conversations and I think hmm. perhaps the age difference, you know, we were, from, he, I was from the north, he was from the south, uh, 15 year age difference, might, these things might have exaggerated the ability to have conversations that were really truthful, incisively, sometimes painfully truthful conversations need to happen. And mm. they just were never, able, we were never able to get to the bottom of it. We might get a little lift, a teacher might give us some practices. But I felt like I was always saying, well, let's do that thing. Let's do that thing. And <laughs> Yeah. And in the meantime, did you have intimacy in other ways? Because, you know, it took me a while as an adult to learn, you know, intimacy didn't always mean physical, right? Like, it's, it's like very obvious to many people what intimacy can be. To me, I didn't understand it. So did you two have intimacy that wasn't physical? We did. And we were actually, you know, we were known in our spiritual community, in our group to be that couple. Everybody said, looks like you're still on your honeymoon. We were very close, very affectionate. Until the kids came, we, you know, we we were always very, very affectionate with each other and close. Mm -hmm. Um, And so So I thought, well, this is just a small thing. We should be able to work this out. You know, this is just a blip in marriage. Should be fixable. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, uh, well, the whole thing is very fascinating to me. I think relationships are endlessly fascinating. Did you ever have worries about him loving you enough? Did you ever wonder if maybe he was feeling satisfaction elsewhere and that's why it wasn't happening for you, too? How did you approach that? I, if, you're, if you're talking about infidelity, we have such a deep level trust. I never worried about infidelity. I didn't know. I never could understand what the gap was there. Um, mm. I certainly struggled with. I think all the things all women do is: is this a, this is this about attractiveness? Is this about basic attraction? Have we we were friends for a long time before we started dating, 
Mm. You know, did I pick someone that I'm friends with? Is there a lack of basic chemistry here? What is going on? I certainly, I also questioned very early in the marriage, like, what is the nature of sexuality? What, certainly it's, you know, on a very basic level, it could be used to create life and create children. That mm-hmm. part I understood, but we weren't ready to have kids. So I began a Right away, it was like I went right down that rabbit hole. Okay, what is the purpose of sexuality here? I, I found myself asking very deep questions. I became aware that I didn't really know what I wanted or how to express it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so I really went down the rabbit hole of asking these questions, but I was sort of asking them of myself. There wasn't anyone I could find who could have this conversation at this level of depth that I needed. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had had the tools early in my marriage that I now offer people. Because mm-hmm. I really feel like things could have gone a very different way. But we didn't have the, the tools. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like, do I have this right, that you are, you're working on this, you're trying to figure it out, but you two are not meeting. Things are not getting better or progressing. And at the same time, you're doing all this work and going down the rabbit hole and understanding so much more about sexuality. So these things are happening parallel? Yeah, Except that I wouldn't even say I was doing a lot of work. I was just fairly lost. For the first, mm-hmm. until we had kids, you know, I was just lost. I didn't understand what was happening or why it was so hard, uh, why we couldn't get on the same page, why things weren't smoother, why there wasn't more sex in the marriage. I just, I was looking and I, would, I went to whatever professionals I could find, but the, I didn't have any sense of getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. So what happened then? I mean, what were the, the what was the next big um, obstacle or breaking point or change that happened? I think what happened next was we had kids. Mm-hmm. And so at that point in my life, I had such a tremendous connection to my, my body and my fertility. We got pregnant right away. So mm-hmm. it didn't take a lot of sex to get us pregnant with my first. And, um, but once he came and he was a medically complicated kid, the mm-hmm. stress of a medically complicated kid in already a low desire, low sex marriage was, I think, really what ended it. I couldn't then spend the amount of energy I was propping up and trying to enliven our sexuality and take care of a special needs child. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he's okay now, but he, this is a kid who couldn't sleep for four years, the first four mm-hmm. years of his life. Mm-hmm. And then by then I was pregnant with our second. Mm-hmm. And so two kids in and then several years without proper, you know, with the with tremendous life change that mothering is yeah. and change of focus that mothering is, I was no longer willing to keep pursuing him for sex. And I, I remember a very pivotal day where I said to him, I'm not going to do this anymore. If you want this, you have to come to me. And he said, but you're the one with the problem. And I said, and I've been, and, and to me, I, I just felt something break in me that day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay then. And I tried to just live my life in the marriage without it. I thought, okay, I'm the only one with the problem. Then I can just raise my kids. We're, you know, this is a, the, he is truly, this man is the kindest, gentlest, most loving man. Mm-hmm. But it just, it, it was not, it wasn't, and I think with my upbringing and with the, the low value, I, I'd never seen a high value placed on sexuality. I never had mm-hmm. any inkling that it was something that I could value, that I could choose to value highly. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'll just put it away. 
I've got mm -hmm. two beautiful children, a good life. Let me just tuck this away. You know, it's, I, I think it's important to pause on that one. When, you know how, speaking of sleep and children, I know when I had sleep issues with my babies, uh, they say you don't have a sleep issue. This one book I read, you don't have a sleep issue if your baby's fine and you're fine and everyone's functioning. But if you are not functioning or feeling good or your baby's not doing well, you have a sleep problem. And so, you know, for me, when I think about your husband saying you're the one with the problem, I'm like, well, it's sim it's similar in that, no, your marriage is the one with the problem because one of you is not happy. And that that is also that idea when one partner wants to go to therapy, for example, or work on something, I personally feel that it's the job of the other partner to acquiesce and at least go along with it because something's not right. I mean, I can imagine why that was hurtful to you. It just... I think it just, something just snapped because, exactly, right, he, he just, and I think ultimately he just couldn't go there. It just was not a place he was going to go. And, yeah. um, and it was, it's heartbreaking, truly. Well, because in a way it's, it's like, I mean, it's sort of like a line in the sand. You're either going, I mean, did it feel like I'm either going to be okay with this and not demand anymore and not try to fulfill this part of my life or this is not tenable anymore well it started out as I'm just gonna not need this I'm just gonna not need this but what happened was the emotional relationship started to deteriorate also and mm -hmm. it's hard to say you know I know the shock of you know when, when my son was born it was a shock because it was a for a few days it was a life-or-death situation and I do think that was a shock emotionally to the marriage that in some ways um, I think was bigger even than we realized at the time. Or I think mm -hmm. it's hard for us to even grasp. Um, and then on top of that, uh, the lack of connection. So the, the sexual connection is important. It's not okay in many cases to just be roommates raising children. Mm -hmm. But I decided it was going to be. And I mm -hmm. went on like that for years. Mm-hmm. And, and what happened after that? So at a certain point when the kids got a little bit bigger, where I could start to feel like I was, you know, once you get out of those toddler years, mm. I, I felt I started to become aware of deep grief, at how much of myself I'd amputated. Mm -hmm. And I, it was just a vague inkling. And I just, I must have been just, you know, like everybody else out there Googling <laughs> and, you know, in those quiet moments, I think, you know, when the kids were taking naps, just Googling and found my way into uh, some teachers that taught Taoist and Tantric practices from a holistic perspective that talked about women connecting to their own sexuality. And I started to study with them. And I thought, aha, here we go. I can have a relationship with myself and my own sexuality that has that relates to, right, I came from a history of spiritual practices that relates to a spiritual tradition, an Asian spiritual tradition in some cases, that um, maybe I can find some connection and fulfillment with myself without having to just shut down. Mm -hmm. And I started studying. And the next thing I knew, I thought, and I was already at a point where I was working uh, with some clients in another capacity, in an herbal capacity, and I thought to myself, Boy, I really want to bring this to women because I started to feel alive again. Mm -hmm. And I started studying more and more and more in depth. 
Mm-hmm. And so uh, your kids are getting older. You, you must be, I mean, at this point, what, what are you, 10, 12 years into the marriage? Is it more than that? More than that. So it's 15 maybe, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when did you realize, ah, you know, I, I want to work in this or, you know, and how it and how was your husband responding to all this? It's interesting. So I said to him, look, I want to study this and I want to take this in-depth training to uh, be to be certified to teach this. And he said, fine. He's ultimately such a supportive man. And he's, <laughs> he seemed, you know, I said to him, look, it's, it's the area of sexuality. This is what I'm really interested in. I, I want to start studying this. And he was 100% supportive. And it meant taking on on top of my work, his work, and shuttling the kids back and forth to school, almost another master's level level of education. Mm. Hours and hours and hours. And a lot of it was, it was five hours a week of self-practice, of meditations, of pleasure practices, of exploring the, the sexual energy of the body. Mm-hmm. And I took it on with a fervor. Once, I, once the door was opened, I couldn't get enough and I just studied everything I could get my hands on, did this immense training. And what happened was, I essentially, by doing these hours of practice, and I think from having a system that was primed by years of meditation and other tools, I generated a spontaneous spiritual sexual awakening of energy in my body that was cataclysmic. So I started to have huge changes to my experience of my 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 own body and the energy of my body so it went mm-hmm. into the spiritual realm that i wasn't even expecting of experiencing changes in intuition changes in uh ability to meditate more deeply just really really intense spiritual uh symptoms almost mm-hmm. and i said to him something's changed and he said I can see it I know and he started I think at that point to get afraid mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember him saying to me like I thought you were going to have an affair because you had been working with sexual energy and he, he could see it so this kind of awakening comes with particular sort of symptoms I wasn't sleeping I was just really really amped up um, energetically I, I at the same time I was very disoriented and I knew things were going to change and within a few months of that happening I said to him I, I can't, I can't stay. I can't mm-hmm. stay. I have to, I have to go. And uh, he was shocked and surprised and devastated. Hmm. And we spent the next six months unwinding the marriage, um, telling the kids, telling our spiritual community, um, reckoning with it. It was truly the most peaceful and loving separation, but absolutely heart-wrenching. And of course, every step of the way, a part of me just had my heels absolutely dug in. Certainly he had his heels absolutely dug in because we care deeply about each other. Mm-hmm. But the force of this experience didn't let me live with that many parts of me amputated anymore. I needed mm-hmm. to find a way to live fully. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't going to be able to come along. And he'd shown me that by that point. Well, it's it's. I wonder if, if there's some, you know, resolution for him because nothing he could he couldn't change it he wasn't able to or willing to that you know if you can't change the 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 pivotal thing that is the crux of the issue then how is it supposed to go 
right? There, there was, you know, I mean, I'm saying like, I don't know, of course, I don't know his experience and what his emotions are about the, the end of your marriage now, but it's like, this is just, there's no way this can work if you can't move closer to what I need. Right. That's right. And were the kids teenagers at that point or were they still young? Pretty young, eight and 14. Mm-hmm. And how long ago is that? Two years ago. Oh, it's recent. It's really recent. Yeah. So, uh, do do you, yeah, do you share custody? We do. We have. He lives a block away. We live in New York City. The kids go back and forth. The pandemic has made it really easy. Uh, <laughs> we have this super easy, you know, relationship where it's like, do you want him tonight? We certainly have a formal agreement, but you want him tonight, or, you know, I've got something going on, uh, or you know what, you've got more food in the house. You want to cook for them. It's, mm. it's during the during the pandemic. You know. We grocery shopped for each other. <laughs> yeah. Only one of us wanted to be in the store. You know, why expose two people to the store? We're used to shopping for each other. We've retained a really close relationship. And did you did you start to date? Have you, you know, where are you with that? Had started to date and just experience the world. Uh, experiencing the world dating as a sexuality teacher <laughs> is a really crazy experience. And doing that at the beginning of a pandemic is an even crazier experience. Uh, uh, yeah. It's put a hold on a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I've had the chance to go back out into the world with this awakened and alivened sense of self, sense of my own sexuality, of who I am. It's something, boy, do I wish everybody could have, right? That this sense mm-hmm. of this wellspring of my own uh energy, my own sexuality within me, and then to bring that to the world, it's its fun. I mean, most people, not everyone thinks dating is a fun adventure, but doing it from this place of connection to myself and my sexuality has made it fun. Mm. And did you, were you able to explain to your family, you know, especially people in the older generation, you know, what the main issue was in your, in your marriage? Is, is it pretty, is it pretty clear to everyone that because of the work that you do now, that, that there was a big sexual issue in the marriage or do you keep that private? <laughs> no, most of them don't, most of them don't ask. And, um, you know, most of them just have, I think, in the true, in the fine tradition of family secret keeping, nobody really asks. Well, that's funny because in my family, you know, we're, we're Jewish. They would have just been like, well, in my family, would be like, what happened? What's going on? Tell me what happened. Like, I would tell them everything. But, um, well, maybe not my parents. But, um, yeah, so, but here you are doing this work and talking to me. But, of course, it's silly for me to presume that your, your parents know what the heck happened. But so um, do you ever have do you ever have doubts? Does he ever does he does your ex ever, you know, wonder if you're going to come back? Do you ever wonder if this is just a, a you know, a phase? Uh, I think we recently I, I knew it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, I've had my moments. Right. We all do in a decision <laughs> that big after being with someone for 20 years. Um he knows me pretty well, and I think he knows. I really mm-hmm. do think he knows. And I also think there's a level of him that was resigned to this, that just knew that this none of this had ever been dealt with. And mm-hmm. it was really, once he realized that it couldn't, I was no longer willing to wait for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in some ways, I don't know that he would agree with this, but I feel like we started out as really close friends. And then we had this beautiful journey together, created these beautiful children together, and have ended up as really close friends. And I don't know who's to say that that wasn't the best alignment for us all along. Mm-hmm. You know, um, because of my own background, so much of what he brought and who he brought made me feel so safe to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't prioritize our sex life. Uh, 
I mean, certainly, you know, I started seeking that early in the marriage, but I didn't say like this, you know, this sexual aliveness is what I'm searching for in a partner. There's all this, oh, it's great to be with your best friend. There's a lot of messaging out there about, uh, it's really confusing around how important sexuality should be in a relationship. Hmm. And so who he is as a person and what he brought um, created the safety, not only for me to live the life we live together, but then to explore when parts of me were dead, to explore them and to mm-hmm. seek them and to find them. And, to, and you know, I, we had a pivotal day. I remember standing in the kitchen and he said to me, I can't believe in you becoming your highest version of yourself and then decide what that is for you. Mm-hmm. And that, that true freedom of, you know, him wanting the best for me and knowing that that was not going to be together as a couple. Right. It was a deep, deep reckoning and a huge, again, a huge gift. Just like when I circled back to that first ever partner I had, I've been given such huge gifts. We all experience bumps and traumas along the way, but such the huge gifts of the masculine mm. in my life. And that's one that he really gave me. Mm. And, um, and uh, you know, we, we do so well as friends. Hmm. Um, I don't think that's what he would have, I know that's not what he would have wanted, but um it would have needed more than him wanting it. Yeah. So you touched earlier on the fact that you had a really good experience physically, sexually early on, but that's not the case for a lot of people, nor is it the case for the people that you see a lot of the time. So what what are some things that happen to women along the way that can cause this kind of stoppage or this kind of, you know, tamping down of sexuality or an inability to access it? Well, I think it's a great question because part of what you're learning to, alluding to is trauma. And many, 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 many women and men have mm-hmm. sexual, a history of overt sexual trauma. And of course, that's one of the big things that shuts us down. It's a great wound. And it's, what's beautiful about this work is that it, you know, especially once one has dealt with the overt trauma, this, so like there's a difference between living in not living in the wound and living in aliveness and connection. Mm-hmm. So that's really the leap that I love to take people. However, none of us grew up in this culture. And, you know, we saw that with the Me Too movement. We see that more and more all the time that this discussion is happening, that what most of us think, oh, that didn't really count or that really wasn't so bad or mm-hmm. it was only fill in the blank or I put myself in that position or I drank too much. And I do, drink, I do work with a lot of people who are in uh, recovery from substances because often those are places we really find we are overriding ourselves and then are overridden physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, this culture, one of the interesting things is so many women feel that they ha- are afraid that they have some history of trauma that they don't remember because we live in a sexually traumatic culture. So I had people say to me, you must have had, look, look how this is playing out in your life, you must have had sexual trauma. And mm-hmm. I searched and I looked and I was hypnotized. I, I was sure, again, something's wrong with me, right? That was the assumption. There's no sex in my marriage, I'm doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And the truth is we live in a culture that is so sexually traumatic, mm-hmm. that, right, that every plot line of every, you know, mm-hmm. sure, the, sure the stories that our children are seeing now, the movies, the stories have shifted a little from that, you know, um, complete uh, princess being rescued format. But really everything about our culture speaks to a disempowerment. 
and if not a disempowerment, a lack of recognition of the incredibly sacred nature of sexuality and of women's sexuality create right this is the ultimate creative force it creates humans it creates life but it also creates aliveness and creativity and vitality every almost every single uh tradition recognizes that in some way some of them repress it some of them talk about it more than others but really this incredible life force that we're sitting on that is our sexuality is so powerful and it's so distorted Mm-hmm. And do you think it's possible to uh, have a very fulfilled life and feel good about yourself and feel in your power if you don't access your sexuality? I think people can access sexuality in a lot of different ways. So I think there are myriad ways. Mine is a very overt one. I work with practices that are expressly sexual in many cases. But I think connecting to chi, to aliveness, to call it what you want, um, I, th- I think it's hard to be alive without touching aliveness, right? Yeah, and so yeah. I think that can look very, very different for many people. And it, for some people, you know, they really want uh, to experience, you know, uh, polyamorous relationships. They want to explore kink. They want to explore the full expression of the active with another person or with multiple people sexuality. Some people want to meditate on the the essence of ovarian chi, right? It's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so bring me anything and we'll work with it because uh, it's really about, uh, a lot of people want to use, and this is one place because I come from a background uh, of, my background is actually in the arts, so I, I have a master's in sculpture. So I've spent mm-hmm. a lot of time in creative and studio communities, helping people use that sexual energy to create, right? To actual make, to write that book, to write that, I have composers. I happen to have a, a more than one composer that I work with, right? So bringing that energy to uh, career choices, to mm-hmm. wanting to, you want to have a baby. I, I, I like to joke that I can get anyone pregnant, right? That, um, <laughs> right, to bring that to whatever creative endeavor we have and mm-hmm. using it um, to increase income. So where, where do we want to turn our core life force energy? What, what, do we, what, what do we want? So then in, in the final moments we have, I wanted to just, you know, I, I realize that you have so much to talk about and offer, and it's not something that can easily be uh, summed up in a quick tip. But I'm wondering, I have two questions, which is, is it possible for you to offer people who are listening uh, some type of something to look for in their own life as a signal that something might be missing in this area that they, they may not even be aware of? And also a tip to try to engage with that even before they do harder, more serious work or reach out to you. Yes, absolutely. So I think the question is not even am I in trouble or is there a problem? I think if anyone looks into themselves, is there more to be found in their sexuality? Is there, are there things they've secretly desired or know deep in their bones that is out there for them. Mm. Um, certainly if you have that, if that feeling of something really being missing or lost or even afraid to hope for in not just in sex but in romantic relationship, right, mm-hmm. in connection with others, in connection with life purpose, if people look inside, it doesn't take long to notice that longing is there. 
that longing is sacred. It's beautiful. It's what drives us forward in the world. Nothing in this world was ever achieved without desire. Even the great spiritual masters had desire to pursue their spiritual practices, right? Mm -hmm. So desire is beautiful and it's sacred. And if you turn within, you'll find it. And it's just, just there for the looking. And then do you want to explore it more? What would help you explore it more? So uh, if people go to my website, actually, uh, if, the, if, you're, uh, if you have a woman's body, right, right away the, a pop-up comes and you can download a free audio practice that gives you a taste of what it is to touch into your sacred energetic system and just mm -hmm. to try it. Uh, and if you're male, you can shoot me an email, which uh, there's contact forms all over my website, and I will send you one for men. Great. That's great. So what is your website? So my website is SuzanneGoodson.com. I know we'll link to it in the show notes. There's a number of ways yes. to get to my website. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook, uh, and we'll put those links in the show notes too, I imagine. Um, but yeah. it's the easiest way to find it is SuzanneGoodson.com. Great. Suzanne, thank you so much. I really, this is a very unique conversation for my show and I, I appreciate it. And there's so much to, to explore and to think about. So thank you very much for bringing this slice of it over here for a little bit. Oh, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to And Then Everything Changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening. 